Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I'm so glad you're here with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. Speaking of which, coming up later, people now in huge numbers are cutting out their pay TV from satellite, the cable company, the phone company. So then what do you do? I got some news for you. And I got a crazy one for you from MarketWatch, where they've done the math on any of a number of vehicles that are gas engine vehicles, comparing them to the cost over the years of actually owning an electric car. Electric cars have been coming steadily down in price. There are a bunch of them that are now right at the price point of the average vehicle in the United States, which is $35,000. So if you're looking at a $35,000 vehicle and then an electric vehicle of that price, over the course of years, you'd save many, many thousands of dollars because the energy is so much cheaper. But what if you were looking at a vehicle that was much, much cheaper? You were looking at something like a mainstream model, like a Toyota Camry or a Honda Accord sedan versus an electric car like the entry point one from Tesla, the Model 3, or you look at the Chevy Bolt or something like that. Well, guess what they found out? It's actually cheaper over the years, over a three-year period, to own the electric car than it is to own the gas engine car. And they looked at a number of different models, and because you have essentially zero maintenance on an electric car and virtually no fueling cost, relatively speaking, on an electric vehicle, that even if you did pay a fair amount more up front, it's still going to be cheaper to own the electric vehicle. But that's not the big news. The big news is that the cost of the batteries, which is what really pumped up the price of electric vehicles, has come down so much in the last year that we're very close to the point where you'll be able to buy a variety of electric vehicles at a price roughly equivalent to what you'd pay for a gas engine. And then every single week, you save a ton. So if you take the cost of energy for an electric car and convert it into the equivalent BTUs of to come with a miles per gallon thing, electric cars tend to get somewhere around 130 miles per gallon equivalent. 130 miles per gallon. Average vehicle people drive on the road 25 miles per gallon. But who cares about it being cheaper? They're so much more fun to drive. You know, my first electric vehicle I got um, almost nine years ago, a Nissan Leaf, and truth be told, it was kind of a rolling appliance. <laughs> but the electric vehicles coming up, coming out now are just fun. There's a 
there's an electric vehicle from Kia that people like so much that apparently people are paying $10,000 more to buy it than the sticker price just to get one. So fun behind the wheel and saving money at the same time. It's going to be shocking in the next few years how much people's desires and what they're going to buy and what they enjoy driving is going to change. Brent is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Brent. How are you doing? Clark, I'm doing wonderful, and I really appreciate being on here. I've been a huge fan for a long time, and I know how much that you like to improve. So I want to offer you some constructive criticism, if you don't mind. I'm ready. All right. So you always want everybody to shop around for all the various products, and I've been taught a lot from you because of that. But there seems to be one exception, and that's in regards to USAA insurance. You seem to think that they're great, and they probably are a great company, but I've had some experience with helping out some friends really save a lot of money from them by switching. And I've, I've had the experience that their service has not always been great. It is normally good sometimes, but it's not always great. So I'm just wondering, how come you're not consistent when it comes to that industry as well? That is a wonderful question, and it's one that I've addressed before and shared my confusion with you because I'm always about shopping, best deal, best deal, best deal. And then with insurance, I've repeatedly said that Amica Mutual, A-M-I-C-A Mutual, and USAA in surveys that are done by J.D. Power and Consumer Reports come up so much higher in the survey results than everybody else that I've said that it's hard to go to somebody else from one of those two because what you have insurance for is when something goes wrong and how does the company handle it when something goes wrong. And a lot of insurers, when the chips are down, they're they're looking at you as an adversary instead of as your partner. So you bring up that you've had dealings with USAA that weren't top drawer, and I guess that could happen. But I just, in this one area with insurance, I've always had this thing where I've been like, well, I always say just look for the best deal, and I talk about the advantage of reshopping your auto insurance every three years with whoever you're with, but that, well, if you're with Amica or USAA, um, it's a hard thing because even if somebody else is cheaper, they're generally so much better, maybe you should stay with them. So you you are right to point out how um, confusing it is and, and maybe even hypocritical for me. Well, and, and, I, and I appreciate that. Um, I, I have found that it is true that a company can be a problem, but what I have found is if, like, I've got a friend of mine who's the agent, and the what I have found is when the agent knows you, and I understand a lot of people, they don't have a personal relationship w- with an actual agent, but if you do, I have found that agent really steps up for you and can help you. And I've found where USAA, and I'm not sure about the other company you mentioned, but USAA, you don't really have an agent, where some people say that doesn't really matter, but no, no, I understand. Know. I mean, I'm with right. you. If you have an agent who is savvy 
experienced and goes to bat for his or her insureds, then that's extremely valuable. And that's a great relationship. And so if you've got somebody who's there, who, when you do have the need, you have a claim, and you've got that agent who's in there fighting for you to make sure you get what you should have, that's great. Heather's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Heather. How's it going for you today? Very well. How are you today? Great. Thank you. You got a question for me about something that makes people's eyes glaze over because they get so confused. What is is that? so true. Yes. I'm curious as to how we should discern how much to deposit in our HSA. As much as you possibly can. This is an HSA, not an FSA? Yes, sir. So health savings account money can be carried forward year to year for the rest of your life. And there are massive tax advantages into putting money into an HSA as much as you possibly can. Okay. And then secondly, how should we discern what percentage to invest versus versus keep as cash? Wonderful question. Okay. So if you have means to pay your out-of-pocket medical care each year up to your deductible on your own, you want to invest all the money in the HSA. Okay. On the other hand, if you would need the money when you have out-of-pocket medical expenses, then you need to keep a substantial amount of the money not invested and just available in whatever account they have where you given like a prepaid card that you can use. Yeah, we're given a prepaid card and then there's an investment threshold. Okay. So... Are you going to need the money to pay bills over the year, or can you just stash it all away and leave it? We can just stash it. If you can stash it, you invest it all. And don't ever be tempted each year to use any of that money, because the higher your income, the more massive the tax advantage is with an HSA putting in the maximum money each year and then having that money grow tax-free and then be spent tax-free decades down the road so so if, if for some reason we were to come into we had several emergencies and we were to come into some situation would it behoove us to save all medical receipts say we break an arm and have to go to the emergency room and get that sorted because it in five years down the road you can still apply old medical receipts for hsas correct i didn't know that you're teaching me something I don't know. That's I what didn't I've know. Seen. I, I was I've not aware of no a, window. I was not aware of a look back like that that you could go back to old unreimbursed expenses. But gosh, if you can do that, that's awesome. Yeah, and I'm not sure. That's just kind of tooling around trying to do research on the internet, and that's why I finally wrote in to talk to y'all because I wasn't sure. The HSAs, though, the greatest advantage is not figuring out how you're going to spend the money. It's how to figure out not to spend it and let it grow and grow and grow as a tax-free pile of cash. David's with us on the Clark Howard Show. David? Yes, Clark. How are you doing? Today? Hi. There are certain words that are curse words on our show. Okay. And you're about to use one of them. <laughs> is that PMI? PMI is it. <laughs> I can't stand private mortgage insurance. Well, I have a, uh, I'm five years into a 30-year mortgage, and I've been paying PMI. 
And between paying down some extra payments and the fact that the home values where I live in, uh, in Florida uh, have risen so much, I have a, a good amount of equity in my house. And I've been looking to refi to get rid of the PMI, but I'm finding that the refinance rates that I'm being quoted are about, about a half a percent higher than what I'm paying right now. Yeah, you don't have to. You said PMI. This is not an FHA loan, is it? No, it's not. Okay, so if it's a conventional loan... You have a right under federal law when you have equity of the equivalent of 22% to dump your PMI, and your lender has to cooperate with you. Okay. So let me tell you what you got to do. You have to talk with your mortgage lender, and they will give you a list of approved appraisers. Okay. You have to pay for the appraisal to their approved appraiser. Okay. And then if he or she's numbers pan out to give you the equivalent of 22% equity, then the PMI obligation is released. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see. I contacted my, my mortgage about a year ago, and I asked them about getting rid of the PMI, and they said the only way I can get rid of it is if I refinance. They lied. Okay. Now, that's not unusual. That's a bank we're talking about. Yeah. But it also could be that the employee you talked to was not intending to lie. They just didn't know how it works. Okay. So if you were to, gosh, you can do a search on whatever search engine you use, Google, whatever, and you can say, search PMI removal at 22% or something like that. You'll see a briefing on how the procedure works, what the law requires. And then this is where the strong-minded overcome the weak-minded. When the person at customer, no service at your mortgage lender says, no, you can't do that, you say, yes, I can. Here's the federal regulation number. Okay. I need your list of your certified appraisers. Well, I appreciate that. You just saved me a whole bunch of time and money. Well, I'm glad that's what we're here for, right? <laughs> that's okay. awesome. So, David, please do me a favor. Yes, sir. As you go through this process, everything works out for you. I'd like to hear back so you can share with other people that everything got done as it should have. I certainly will. Well, best to you. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks and automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Charlie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Charlie. Well, hello, Clark. How are you today? Great. Thank you, Charlie. You want to talk about one of the smartest devices anyone can ever put in a car. Yeah, dashboard cameras. They seem to be very uh, popular in Europe but not so much in the U.S., and I was kind of wondering your take on their assets or any liabilities involved in using the dashboard camera when driving to kind of protect oneself and one's wallet. I've used one for five years and am a strong believer in them, especially if you drive a nicer car. Too many people have watched too many commercials about how they're going to hit the lottery from having been in some form of accident. And people will exaggerate an accident that's your fault or they'll lie about whose fault it is and you could end up being on the hook. So having a dash cam where you are videotaping with a, it usually uses an SD card 
that continually records and erases as the oldest materials no longer needed is fantastic information for you in the event that there's an accident that either A is uh, not your fault, it's fuzzy whose fault it is, and it may be better established from the dashboard cam, or the degree of severity is one of the most important things because in an issue where somebody comes after you, the damage to property is insignificant compared to when somebody claims they have a soft tissue injury or whatever, and they're coming after you for big money for their supposed injuries. All right, sounds like good info. Do you use a dash cam yet, or are you just thinking of getting one? Well, since I, I placed my Ask Clark question out, I did buy one. It was super easy to install. I paid maybe $75 for it, and uh, the quality of the imagery is excellent. Yeah, and they're getting better and better. I mean, amazingly better. If someone wants just the most basic of ones that is kind of like a dumb camera, but it'll do the recording, those start at about $15, but the really good ones will cost you. $75 is a great price, Charlie, and the really good ones can run as much as $125 that do GPS coordinates and time and all that. But what a great way for you to know what really has happened, especially if you have teen drivers, good idea to have one in a car a teenager is driving. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our website's clark.com, and then our deals site, clarkdeals.com. You know what a deal is? Dumping your overpriced pay TV from the satellite company, the phone company, or the cable company. For a long time, very, very few people did disconnect. But now, the newest data is that over 10,000 people every day are dumping overpriced traditional pay TV. And if you don't, if you stay a creature of habit with traditional pay TV, let me tell you, the satellite company, the cable company, the phone company, they're going to gouge, gouge, gouge your wallet because they're playing a game like AT&T and Verizon did for so long with traditional home phone service. The people who stayed loyal to AT&T and Verizon and kept a home phone in their home were rewarded by AT&T and Verizon with much, 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 much higher prices, steadily marching higher for that home dial tone because they knew that those people were averse to change and were loyal and they were going to stab you in the back for your loyalty and they did it. And that's exactly what's going on now with pay TV as the phone companies, cable companies, and satellite companies are 
trying to make up lost revenue by charging all kinds of extra junk fees and higher prices for pay TV. It's time for you to kick them out of your house and go to streaming services. We have just updated on Clark.com the offers available from each streaming service, what you pay, what you get, what channels you have, the goods and the bads of each of them. And so take a gander and do this for yourself, okay? If you're somebody who has trouble with change, don't fire the cable company, phone company, or satellite company yet. Instead, go try one of these services. There are lots of trial offers. We've got one right now on our website where you can try something out for a month for free. Usually you only get a week. But anyway, you can try one out or even subscribe to it for a month and make a commitment to yourself that you're only going to watch that streaming service and see if it makes you happy. If it does, all you're going to do is cut your pay TV costs by half or more. Wouldn't you like to have that money back in your pocket? And as far as what you're paying now, you have my word. You remember this. You are going to see increase after increase after increase if you stay with the cable monopoly, the phone monopoly, or the satellite players. Wanda's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Wanda. Hello, Clark. How are you? I am doing wonderfully, and I really appreciate your being willing to answer my question. Sure. So, What is it, Wanda? Okay. So my husband and I never, ever, ever buy extended warranties. However, we've just bought a hybrid vehicle... And there are a lot of computer interfaces, and electronics don't last as long as mechanical parts. So we are wondering if this is one time where we should make an exception. Should we buy the extended warranty? For $2,600, we can have every part of the vehicle covered for as long as we own the car. And last vehicle we owned for 10 years. So I would say the answer is going to depend on the vehicle and your own circumstance. So... If the hybrid is a Toyota or a Lexus, uh-huh. then it would, uh, I don't know if yours is, but if it was, that would be an extremely low need to buy any kind of warranty, specifically because it's a hybrid, because Toyota's been okay. making those since 1997, and they know how to do it with their eyes closed. <laughs> okay. Uh, so okay. I, I would say that that would be a step against is yours a toyota or a lexus or something it else it actually is okay i was told not to t- mention a brand name unless you unless you ask oh but but i did but ask so so in did. that case it's, it's a toyota rav4 so there would be very uh, it'd be a very low priority for you to look at that because it's a hybrid all right then okay. there's the second thing and that is you keep a car a long time you're very uh-huh. conservative with your money obviously If something did go wrong with the car, do you have the kind of resources and savings or whatever that you could pay for a repair? You wouldn't want to, but you could. That is true. Then you don't need an extended warranty. 
Okay. Because the reason to buy an extended warranty on a car, the math isn't really any better than on something else. It's just that repairs on a car can be really significantly expensive. And so if people don't have any spare cash, that would be why you'd want a warranty. But if you're someone who is careful with your money, you got a decent amount available to you, then something breaks, just pay to repair it. Okay. So you would not be a good candidate for an extended warranty. I really appreciate your input. I really do. And you enjoy that thing for the next 10 years. And John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, John. Hey, Clark. Great to talk to you. Great having you here. You are thinking of becoming, well, kind of like a cross between a landlord and a hotelier. Yeah, I was thinking about it. Um, we, we built kind of a, a separate apartment for my grandmother when she moved up in 2007. She passed away in 2013 at the age of 100. Wow, and she lived to 100. Yeah, yeah, she had a nice long life for sure. But ever since she passed away, we've had this separate apartment that it just kind of sits there. I mean, we have when we have family up, it's kind of a nice place for them to be able to go and get some privacy, but... A lot oh, of wait, wait, wait. Of... For them to get some privacy or for you to get some privacy? <laughs> well, maybe a little bit of both. But, okay. <laughs> uh, but they, yeah, they really, you know, people really like when they come up. But I'm um, thinking, you know, I don't want somebody to be in there as a regular tenant, like a, you know, be like a regular landlord. But I thought maybe doing something like Airbnb or, or something along those lines might, might be a good idea. It's a great way for you to dip your toes in, if nothing else. Yeah. Because if you sign somebody to a year's lease and you're like, this is a nightmare. Why did we do this? If you yeah. do Airbnb, you know, it's very low risk and you do it as much or as little as you want because you choose how much availability you put up on the calendar. Well, a couple of things I was wondering about is um, like the liability issues as far as having to, you know, you have to uh, get a hold of your homeowner's insurance and let them know that you're doing this. Right. Okay. And some homeowners insurers today are very accommodating to Airbnb, and others still have their heads buried in the sand and don't want to recognize the sharing economy. So it right. just you'll find that out when you call. And I guess one of the other questions I had was as far as, like, our place is not really handicapped accessible, per se, so I don't know if that would be an issue too nope you don't have to be ada compliant at all you're not running a professional hotel property okay so unless a local jurisdiction had some kind of extreme arcane rules about that you're good to go without being ada compliant okay yeah those were two of my main questions and you set the rent as you wish you also set how strict a policy you are on payment and deposits you know, because you'll see if you look through, look through a lot of listings on Airbnb and see how they're listed, you know, with how they handle bookings, what they require, what the refund policies are, and take a lot of pictures of this separate residence so that somebody really is able to thoroughly see what it is they'd be staying in. Okay. And you'll learn over time based on the demand that you create what the price point should be. You know, getting pricing right on Airbnb, particularly for people that are new on it, is hard. I've, I've found things where people severely underprice their property 
and others where they're just never getting any activity because they've overpriced per night. And it takes a while to get that mix just right. Lisa's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Lisa. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Great. Thank you, Lisa. You have a question of numbers and letters you want to run by me. Right. <laughs> What's the scoop? Well, basically, I'm a teacher in North Carolina, and I have a 401k that I've been contributing into for maybe about eight or ten years. So just in talking with other people, they've mentioned possibly rolling over to a Roth IRA or considering a 403b. Um, I did listen to part of your show earlier um, regarding the 403b, so I don't necessarily think that would be a great idea. But just wondering what your ideas were about all three of the possibilities. So 403Bs are generally vastly inferior retirement plans Mm -hmm. because they are set up, and they were set up by Congress to be operated by insurance companies, and the fees on them will be as much as 20 times more expensive than somebody doing a low-cost 401k plan. Right. They're incredibly expensive, and the investment choices are generally inferior to what you have available in most employer-provided 401ks. So they lose on the variety of investment choices, and they generally lose massively on the expenses. So when you have a choice between a 401k and a 403b, it would be extremely unusual that a 401k would not be vastly superior. I guess it's possible, but I've never seen that. Okay. So comparing a 401k to a Roth IRA. So you can't take the money from your 401k and put it in a Roth or a regular IRA unless you've quit your job. And you're still teaching in the same school school district? Exactly, yes. Yeah. So you can continue to contribute to that 401k. And does the district or school system offer any match on your 401k money? No, not at all. The advantage of it then is that it just comes out of your check. You don't have to do anything else. Correct. So if you do a Roth IRA, it works opposite of that 401k. The Roth, you don't get any tax break for putting money into the Roth. Mm-hmm. But the money grows tax-free and you spend it tax-free when you retire, where with that 401k, it goes in with a tax benefit to you when you put the money in, but everything you have in it and everything it earns, you're taxed on at time of retirement. Right. If you're like most teachers, they're not paying you with a wheelbarrow. (laughs) You know, they're generally not paying you well, right? Right. So you are better served doing the Roth IRA than you are doing the 401k because you don't get enough benefit from the upfront tax deduction to make it a good idea to do that, where with the Roth, the money you know you put in there, you're never going to be taxed on it again. Okay. So how much do you like to contribute in a year? How many dollars total? Not much at all. Um, I'm trying to do the math in my head. So maybe around $1,500. Oh, then you're a perfect candidate for doing a Roth. Okay. Because you'd not come anywhere near the cap on it. 
So I would prefer, since there is no match on that 401k, that you discontinue that and instead you contribute to a Roth. And I've got a list of super low-cost companies on Clark.com on my investment guide that you can look at to set up that Roth IRA. Okay. And as long as you have the discipline, you put in 100 a month, 150 a month, just set it up automatically so you're always getting that money in. Okay. And All right. thank you for being in there for our kids. What grade do you teach? I actually work with uh, gifted kids, so I kind of work with all grades okay. um, in elementary school, K through five. So you're working with brainiacs in elementary school? Yeah, <laughs> yes. Wow. I was definitely not one of those in any level of school. Joel, you have a couple of people who've been patiently waiting for an answer from Ask Clark. Yeah, Clark, we've got a question from screen name D. Miggs, who says, can a lease be paid off early like a regular car loan? And if so, is that beneficial? Yes, a lease can be paid off early, but usually there is no advantage to doing so. And here's the crazy thing. Some lease contracts, if you pay off the full balance early, they have penalties in them that take away any possible benefit whatsoever. If you're in a lease vehicle and you're going to keep it for the term of the lease, simply pay as agreed through the lease. Now, I wanted to mention one other thing about that is that depending on the residual, that is the estimated value of worth of the vehicle stated in the lease, at the end, you may be in a position to steal a deal buying the car at the end of the lease for the stated residual value. If you love the car and you want to keep it after the lease, this could be a great idea for you to buy it at the end. Okay, Clark, we've got another question from Jules, who says, should I open up a Roth IRA for my 17-year-old? She earned about $1,100 this summer. I would take 500 from her savings and match it with 500 bucks. And if so, where should we put that? I love the idea. I call it the mommy-daddy match. It's something that I did with my teenager, well, when she was a teenager. And the various jobs she had part-time and in the summer, I would offer her each year, and she has a Roth as a result, kind of like an employer offers a match on a 401k. Every dollar that she saved... I would offer to match with a dollar, and it works beautifully because you teach the concept of deferred gratification. You can put in up to a formula nearly what a teenager has earned in that year, a little less than that because of some quirks of the tax code, and you start to build it. $1,000, my favorite to start with is the Vanguard Star Fund. Go to Vanguard.com because... Your teen is a minor. You have to open the account old-fashioned paper form. You can fill out the form and print it out, mail it in, and establish that Roth with the $1,000. Love it. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.